Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Fully. In this series on whole life stewardship, we are learning what it means to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian. So good to be with you. This is a great day. I'm going to have you get your notes out right away. We're going to jump into things quickly. We're in a seven-week series. If you've been with us, you might know that. If you're a guest here today, we're in a seven-week series called Fully. And if you're following in your notes, together we're learning to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. Right, Steve said this the first week. It's so easy to see our lives in different segments. We go to work, we go to school, we go to the gym, we go to the athletic team, we go, we go different places, and then we come to church and that's where God is. And we're saying that, that's not how we steward our lives. We live one life where God is over all of it and we get to steward and manage everything He's given us. And today, we're going to talk about our minds and giving our minds fully to the way of Jesus. I'm so thankful to be here, and I'm so thankful to talk with you about this, because this has been one of the areas that has been most important to practice in my life, to grow in the way of Jesus. And I believe it can be important in all of our lives as we seek to become more like Jesus. So I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about this today and what we can learn from his word. So as we jump into this subject, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. First book of the Bible, last week we were in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm going to have you go to Genesis 3 this morning. And the reason I want to start in Genesis 3 is because the battle for the mind has existed since the Garden of Eden. It has existed since... Creation, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. You can follow along in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. This is what God's Word tells us. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the story of how sin entered the world. And notice how it happened. What did the enemy do? There's a serpent in the story, and he doesn't show up dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork. Right? If you're following in your notes, the enemy planted a seed seed of doubt in Eve's mind to tempt her. He planted doubt in her mind, and this doubt led her to question God. He made her think that God was holding out on her that she couldn't trust him, that his intentions for her were not good. Satan tempted Eve. He planted a seed of doubt in her mind, and she gave into temptation. She was pulled apart in different directions, and she chose to sin rather than trust God. 
because she believed the lie of the enemy. And like Eve, we still have an enemy who tempts us. One of the names the Bible gives him is the deceiver. If you're following in your notes, the deceiver has planted doubts in all of our minds. These doubts are usually about two things, who God is or who we are. He goes after identity, God's identity and our identity. We begin to question who God is. Are you real? What are you like and who we are? Is this just who I am? We've been lied to. And I wonder this morning what seed of doubt God has planted in your mind. Like Eve, is it that God can't be trusted? Right? He's holding out on you. He's not for you. He's not good. Maybe sometimes you wonder if God is even real. Maybe the doubt that you hear that's planted in your mind is that I'll never be good enough. I'll never be pretty enough. I'll never be thin enough. I'll never be smart enough. I'm not worth very much. Or maybe your bad news is that everything's up to you. Nobody else is for you. You don't belong anywhere. No one loves you. You're alone. Maybe you struggle with a a, a habit pattern or an addiction, and the lie you hear is there's nothing wrong with how I'm handling things. Or maybe you struggle with that, and you think, I'll just always be this way. I'll never change. It's just who I am. Maybe you've believed a lie that has convinced you that you deserve whatever you want. You, you deserve it. Life is all about you and your happiness, but you find that your mood and self-esteem fluctuates based on your last failure or your last success. Maybe you believe the lies that your identity is based on what you have, what you do, or what others think about you. Or maybe you have the seed of doubt planted in your mind by the enemy that you're a failure. You can't keep going and there's no hope. I don't know what it is for you, but we all have these seeds of doubt because we have an enemy. And you recognize these thoughts when they come to mind. You've recognized them. You've recognized the temptations. You don't want to think about them anymore. You don't want to believe the lies anymore, but it's so hard because they're so loud. And most of us don't know what to do with the seed the enemy has planted in our mind. We need to know how to steward our minds in the way of Jesus because culture would tell us just to think positive thoughts and have good vibes. I went to Barnes and Noble this last week. This is a picture inside the front door of Barnes and Noble. If you can read it, the sign says healthy mind and the books on that display, Springfield, Illinois are witchcraft, moon power, the crystal source book, Buddhism and tarot cards. That's how we renew our minds according to culture. And I just want to say to anybody here who may browse that shelf, those are not helpful in stewarding our minds. They're actually demonic and they lead to more bondage. But there's good news for us today. There's a better way to renew our minds. And it's the way of Jesus. I love this definition of the gospel written by Rich Volotis. You can see this on the screen. He says, the gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has come near in Jesus Christ. And through his death, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the powers of sin and death no longer have the last word. 
as followers of Jesus with the Holy Spirit now living inside of us, if you're following in your notes, it is now possible to defeat the lie of the enemy and walk in freedom and victory. Do, do you believe that? It is possible to walk in freedom and victory with the hope of Jesus. But let me say this also, if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so thankful you're here. So thankful. I'm praying that you hear the good news and the invitation that Jesus offers. But I do want to tell you, left to ourselves and stewarding our minds by ourselves, it is an uphill battle that is going to end in defeat and resignation. And I want you to know you can experience freedom and victory as well. But you can't experience the peace of God unless you are at peace with God. And today I'm praying is the day you become a follower of Jesus and you can experience his peace and wholeness and victory. I want to say this again to underscore the importance of what we're talking about as we step in to scripture here. This is what we need to know. If you're following in your notes, defeating temptation takes place in our minds. I believe this is where we step into maturity with Christ. We become more fully like Jesus in our minds that then translates to our bodies. This is why the apostle Paul spoke about this so frequently. He spoke about our minds in Romans 12 too. You can see this on the screen. He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I actually love how the New Living Translation gives us Romans 12 too. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what I want to talk about together. We renew our minds to steward our minds. We take our thoughts captive. But if you are sitting there, if I was in your place, I would say, that's great. How do I do that? How does that happen? And that's what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time today. So I want to invite you to flip over to the New Testament book of Philippians. Just keep going through the Old Testament. You're going to go past the four gospels. You're going to get to a set of letters, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. I've been a follower of Jesus for years. I've gone to seminary, and I still have to tell myself, General Electric Power Company, to find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 6 to 9. Would you read verses six and seven with me in the first gray box on your notes or on the screen? These are the words of the apostle Paul. 
He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul begins by saying, don't be anxious about anything. But let me say this first. There are times when anxiety is a good thing, right? There's a feeling of unease that comes over us and it moves us to action. An example of this might be a ball goes in the road and your child runs after the ball. You feel anxiety and it moves you to action. That is a good thing. However, the the word used for anxiety in this verse, if you're following in your notes, means to be pulled apart in different directions. To be pulled apart. This is anxiety where we anticipate the future with a worst case scenario. I appreciate how author Sharon Hottie Miller describes anxiety. She has this wonderful quote. You can see it on the screen. Anxiety is emotionally inhabiting a reality which does not exist. It's a future worst case scenario thinking. The temptations we experience... The lies we believe and the bad news that is on the loop in our minds leads to anxiety and we feel pulled apart in different directions. So let's say we mess up with something, right? We've made this mistake. It might be small. It might be big. A temptation comes to mind and we might hear, God, you've let me down again. God, you should have acted differently in that situation. If you love me, you would have done what I wanted you to do. I can't believe I messed this up again. Why do I keep doing the same thing? I'm a failure. I'm never going to get this right. You start feeling anxiety. You're pulled apart. And Paul says, but, or rather than feeling that way, when you notice it, rather than feeling that way in every situation, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. If you're following in your notes, the first and critical step of fighting temptation is prayer. It's prayer. It's inferred here that we notice what's going on in our minds. I mean, we have to catch it. We have an awareness that we're being tempted. Something is pulling us apart or we're fighting the same lie again. This noticing is the moment where the battle of the mind is won or lost. If you're following in your notes, the key to resisting temptation is to take the initial thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The initial thought. If we don't take captive the initial thought, we're probably going to lose the battle. It's going to get on the loop in our minds and it's going to lead to how we act. We're either going to take the thought captive or we're going to begin inhabiting a reality that does not exist. We notice what's going on. We pray. We call out to God. And the origin of the word pray is this beautiful meaning in Middle English. If you're following your notes, it means to ask earnestly. We ask earnestly for help. God, I need you now. And Paul says we do that with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving just reminds us of the grace that we've been given in Christ. 
We remind ourselves of God's past faithfulness when we're thankful. We notice a temptation, a doubt, a lie, and we pray. And then we're given the result of the prayer in verse seven. You can see that verse on the screen. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're following in your notes, the word used for peace means wholeness. It means wholeness. A secondary definition means freedom from worry. Paul is so intentional here. What a beautiful picture that rather than experiencing anxiety and being pulled apart, we can experience the peace of God that brings wholeness. And this is important for us to notice. If you're following in your notes, the promise of prayer is not deliverance. It's the peace of God, right? It's peace that can't be taken away because our peace isn't circumstantial. And that's why it doesn't make any sense to the world. Here's what I've discovered when I pray. Sometimes God changes my circumstances. He absolutely can do that. He's a miracle worker. Most of the time, God changes how I'm thinking about my circumstances. And by drawing near to God, God provides the gift of his presence, which supernaturally provides his peace. Pastor and author Pete Gregg has a great quote about prayer. He says, prayer is primarily relational rather than transactional. God's greatest gift is always, ultimately, simply himself. That's the gift of prayer that he gives us himself. He gives us his peace. Jesus actually promised this to us in the gospel of John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We can experience the peace of Christ, but we can't have the peace of verse seven without the prayer of verse six. And so we recognize the lie or the temptation and we begin to pray. And then if you're following in your notes, we then filter the lie. We filter the lie. Paul continues in verse eight and nine. Would you read this with me in the second grade box on your notes or on the screen? It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'll conclude verse nine. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Temptation enters our mind. We begin to feel anxious. We've noticed it. We've prayed. We begin to experience the peace that God promises us. But there still might be some doubt because we've lived with this thought habit so long and the doubt comes back again and the inner narrative is so loud And whatever that temptation is that we have taken captive, we run it through a filter like the one that we just read in verse eight. Is what I'm about to believe true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admiral, excellent, or praiseworthy? 
I read the inversion of this list this week, and it was helpful in gaining clarity of what we frequently do. The inversion of this verse would say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is untrue, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely, whatever is uncommendable, if there's anything not morally excellent, if there's anything unworthy of praise, do not think about such things. This is why this is a practice, because we practice this over and over. It takes intentionality and it takes practice. We're going to mess up, but we can experience the peace of Christ when we take captive our thoughts and filter them through God's word. This is so important. This filtering is so important because if you're following in your notes, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling that leads to wrong living. We're going to live in a reality that doesn't exist if we want to go there. And if we want to live the way of Jesus, we have to be able to steward our minds in the way of Jesus. Here's another way to interpret verse 8 about this filtering of temptation and bad news. If you're following in your notes, is what I'm believing consistent with what the Bible says about God and about me? Is it consistent? Is what I'm thinking consistent with the way of Jesus? Because what I've, I've noticed is that we frequently have a problem knowing what the voice of Jesus sounds like. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in my mind, God said sounds a lot like me when I beat myself up. And the voice of Jesus sounds different. The voice of our enemy is a voice of condemnation, at least the cycles of fear and guilt and shame. The voice of Jesus, which is consistent with the word of God, may convict us. It will convict us of our sin. But it's how we are convicted with kindness that calls us to repentance and invites us into a relationship. We need to be able to distinguish the voice of the enemy from the voice of Jesus, the lies from the truth. And this is why we say this so often. As followers of Jesus, if you're following in your notes, we need to be in God's word. It's hard to hear good news if we don't fill our minds with good news. Right, we, we need to spend time in God's word. We need to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to think in the way of Jesus. And as we spend time in his word, his thoughts become our thoughts. We renew our minds. We're able to notice the bad news and replace it with the truth of God. We pray, we filter And then if you're following in your notes, we replace the lie with the word of God. We replace the lie with the word of God. God has blessed us. Friends, God has blessed us with his word as the primary means of purifying and renewing our minds. We have the tool necessary to renew and purify our minds. In the Gospel of John, we're told that Satan is called the father of lies, and as his name suggests, his weapon is a lie, which means our defense against him is the truth. 
I love how author Neil Anderson says, dealing with Satan is not a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. We do not have to live with these mental strongholds. We've trained ourselves to believe lies for years and years, and we can now choose to train ourselves to believe the truth of God's word about who he is and who we are. It's possible. Let me put this all together and use a parenting example because we have so many young parents here and because I've experienced this in my own life. You could apply this to any situation you're encountering though because the pattern is very similar. Right, our, our kids are on our last nerve. This probably isn't your kids. Just kids are on our last nerve. And we're tired. We just want some quiet. They talk back one more time. They stall one more time. It pushes us over the edge and we react instead of respond. We don't parent to instruct them for their future betterment. We begin to parent because we're inconvenienced or disrespected or we're hurt. The kid goes to their room. You sit back down on your couch and the temptations and the lies and the doubts start creeping in. The enemy puts thoughts in your head like, they deserve to be treated that way. They deserve to be spoken to that way. Or the the lie creeps in that says, God, why does everybody else's family have it all together but our struggle's so bad? Or, Dang, Brian, you really messed that up again. I guess this dynamic of anger and yelling is just how it's going to be in our family. Or if there's been an unhealthy pattern going for a long time and you're at a moment of weakness or tiredness, the enemy might bring a thought to your mind that says, my family would be better off without me. Anxiety creeps in. You're pulled in different directions. Fear, guilt, and shame start sweeping over you. You begin inhabiting a reality that does not exist. And right here is where the battle of the mind is won or lost. Right here, we can stop this cycle. We can name the lie we're believing and we can pray. God, I notice I'm believing a lie. I'm believing, I'm noticing this lie that I'm a bad person, a bad parent. I'm the only one who struggles with this. Things will never change. I know this isn't true, but this is so loud, God. It's so loud. I don't want to believe this anymore. I need your peace. This prayer slows us down. We allow the peace of God to enter into our bodies. It slows our minds down so we can distinguish the lies between the truth. And after we slow down, we can filter the lie. Let's just take the lie that things will never change. Is that true? No. Is it right? No. Is it pure? No. Lovely? No. Admirable? No. Excellent? No. Praiseworthy? No. Is the lie that things will never change consistent with the word of God and the way of Jesus? No. We've taken the thought captive. We filtered it. And then we replaced the lie with the truth of God. God, it feels like things are never going to change. But your word tells me in Jeremiah 32, 17, that you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. 
Or you remember Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who died and gave himself for me. And we pray for God to work in our family and to change the dynamic because nothing is too hard for him. And we pray and we ask God to change us because we are new creations and Christ lives in us. We don't have to react the way we've always reacted. We can respond differently. Right thinking leads to right living. And we can go back and ask uh, for forgiveness from the child that we said those things to. And don't hear me say there's not a consequence for the child that acts disrespectfully. But we can handle that differently. Do you see how we've prayed, filtered, and replaced the lie of the enemy, and we can be freed from fear, guilt, and shame that keep us in bondage? Whatever situation you're encountering, it doesn't have to be parenting. We need to know this. If you're following in your notes, it is possible through prayer and word to overcome temptation and anxiety and experience wholeness and peace in Christ. It is possible to steward our minds in the way of Jesus for the glory of God. It is possible. I want to encourage you to keep your notes out for just a minute. As we wrap up, as we talk about the mind, we need to speak about mental health for a few minutes because this is a very real issue in our culture today and the church needs to engage in this. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey, 47% of adults reported symptoms of anxiety and 39% reported symptoms of depression. One in five adults disclosed suffering from a mental illness. More than one in three high school students experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, a 40% increase since 2009. It's reported that one in six youth have made a suicide plan in the last year. Those numbers skyrocket to almost 50% for students who struggle with same-sex attraction. In fact, suicide is now the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. What those statistics tell me is there's a mental health crisis in America that the church needs to help address. And what I'm talking about here is different from what we just talked about. What I'm talking about now is anxiety and depression that's more than situational, right? You experience prolonged anxiety and depression that you can't attribute to a circumstance. If somebody says to you, why are you anxious today? Why are you depressed today? You may not have an answer. It's just a feeling that you can't get out of. And there are mental health issues caused by a number of factors, including genetics, chemical imbalances in your body or past trauma. Those numbers also tell me that there are people in this room struggling with clinical anxiety and depression and some who are considering suicide. If that's you, I want you to know this. You're not alone. You're not defective. People throughout the Bible, Hannah, Elijah, Jeremiah, David, Job, Paul, to name a few, struggled with mental health issues. 
There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations full of lament and expressing depression to God. Even Jesus, who was perfect and sinless, was no stranger to emotional pain. In fact, the prophet Isaiah called him a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The scriptures are honest and transparent about the fact that lots of godly people have struggled and still struggle with anxiety and depression. Whatever you're going through, you're not alone and there's hope. The enemy wants you to feel shame and to isolate yourself. God wants to provide you with hope. I want to quote John Mark Comer, a pastor and author, because I don't have any better words than this. You can see this on the screen. He says, no matter what fight, war, dysfunction, pain, sorrow, tragedy, struggles you're up against, there's always a way out. Many other godly people have walked through the same valley and come out on the other side. When you sink deep into your hell, when you feel like the end is right around the corner, when you think there's no way out, God is there right at your side. He's faithful to hear your whispers for help and he will show you the path of life. There's always hope. So if you're here and you're struggling with clinical anxiety and depression, it's more than just situational. It doesn't go away. You're not sure what's going on. Here's a couple of next steps that might be helpful for you. Your next step today might be to call your primary care physician and have an honest conversation about what you're struggling with. And they may suggest a medication that can help with anxiety and depression. Listen, medication is not always the answer, but I am proof that it can help bring our bodies back into alignment so we can properly deal with the lies that are so loud. I take medication for anxiety and it has been helpful to stabilize my mood and allow me to do the deep work to overcome the lies that I've believed. Your next step may be to call a doctor and have an honest conversation. I also believe that when we're dealing with mental issues, there's usually a physical and a spiritual component at play. Remember back to Genesis 3, we have an enemy and he wants to kill and steal and destroy. And gifted counselors who are followers of Jesus can help us address the spiritual component of what we're dealing with. So two options for you. We have a care group here for anxiety and depression. It's led by a wonderful woman named Audra, a trained chaplain. We also have counselors in our city. I believe that everyone can use counseling. I go to counseling and I can honestly tell you over the past year, if I was not going to counseling on a regular basis, I'm not sure if I'd be in ministry post-COVID. It's been that important. Our benevolence team, our church, our benevolence team believes in this so much. They've freed up a significant amount of money to help our church family afford counseling. So if you're here today and you've thought, man, maybe that would help me, I wanna encourage you to reach out. If you thought I'd like to try that, but I don't have the money to do it, we have the money to help you. We want to help you become whole in Jesus. And you can see on the back of your notes, you can text that number at any time, the word counsel, and we'll start a confidential conversation with you about how to get into counseling. And lastly, let me say this. If you're here and you're thinking about suicide, please talk to someone. 
Don't isolate yourself. If you need someone to talk to, please know you can talk to me. You can talk to Steve. You can talk to Jeff. You can talk to any of us on our staff. We will not judge you or shame you. We would consider it an honor and a privilege and a sacred conversation. And I, we would actually think more of you for being courageous to have that conversation. Our enemy The deceiver and the liar came to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus came so that we could have life and have it to the full. And we can experience that by learning to steward our minds in the way of Jesus. I want you to watch this video of this good, uh, of my good friend, Philip, who has overcome anxiety himself. I am Philip Drawn. Uh, I am the husband to Megan. Then I have a daughter, Abigail, who is 12, and another daughter, Lydia, who is 10. For me, the most impactful thing of stewarding my mind, um, having hereditary anxiety and just overestimating the unknown and underestimating myself. For me, the anxiety is, uh, it's, it's, much like the heart condition that my family has. It's, it's hereditary. It's something that my family has all struggled with, but I've been gifted the opportunity to be the first one to name it in my family and to be aware of its hidden influence on me and the impact that it's had to me. And literally being mindful of it has allowed me to influence how I go about my day and my world and to be able to name when my mind is running away from me and I'm being caught up too long in something that's not important or feeling anxious or not not true to my identity of who I am. We all create safety in some way. And for me, I've always leaned into my intelligence to control everything and to predict and know and and create safe in that way. But that's false safety, that's not real. And so part of my journey is, is just reframing and being content with myself. Learning by being in scripture, learning more about God and who He is. Not only do you learn more about who God literally is by definition, um, but you learn who you are to Him. In the Psalm 139, 13, it's the uh, knit you together in your mother's womb. Uh, The NIV is like your inmost being, but the Hebrew, it's like, no, your mind and heart, like who you are has been known. Uh, So the most rewarding part is calling back to identity of who I am and what I am, and I'm known and I'm loved. I've watched that like five times. It never gets old. I love that. Friends, there's hope in Jesus. He's the hope of the world. We need him and our community desperately needs him. So go knowing you're a sent person filled with his hope. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.